Well, welcome, welcome. It is uh, not the Damon Bruce Show, but you are on Damon Bruce Plus for another little edition of something we like to call the home and home with the one and only yours truly and Larry Kruger. What's going on, Larry? How are you today? What's up, man? I'm just I'm as we're doing this, I'm tweeting out to my audience on Twitter to join us right now. Spread the word. Spread the word. We already got people coming in. Kathy. Good evening. Good evening, Kathy, to you. It's good to have you here. Larry, we got quite a weekend to kind of go over. We got some NBA playoff previews to look at. We'll know more after the play-ins are done. We have it. Whoa, man. While we were starting the show, something bad happened. Uh-oh, uh, it's now happened? 4 nothing. Dodgers over the Giants in San Francisco. Still very early in that game. Uh, bottom of the third inning. Uh, the Tampa Bay Rays continue to be baseball's undefeated team. I got to figure out what the, the A's did here, but man, we got to start with something that I think is, is job number one. If you're just worried about how the 49ers are going to look next year, I've seen Muncie, Utah, by the way, three run bomb Muncie. Oh, oh my, how sickening. I hate Muncie. Seriously. I don't hate many people, but I hate Muncie. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, why? Why the hatred to the months? Because he's just a, he's just a the easiest guy. He's got a hateable face, and he's a Dodger, and uh, <laughs> you know what I mean. He's okay. an easy guy to hate. He's like one of those. Every time that he's just, you know, he told Bumgarner to fish it out of the bay, and I'm a Bumgarner guy, and I just always hated Muncie. He rubs you wrong. Um, you Here's know. the thing. It got to the point where when someone wanted to bring the ruckus to Bumgarner, I respected it. I, I really did. <laughs> well, his policing the field was a tired deal, but still, I mean, Muncie is tired. Yeah. Um, to me, the one guy who is absolutely not tired with the San Francisco 49ers, someone who's really rounding into a special player and who he might be, I think we've already gotten a look at it, and that's Brandon Ayuk. There's a little talk about how Brandon Ayuk could be on the shipped out because a long-term deal might not be feasible with him. Uh, the 49ers are looking to get something before he reaches a walkaway season if they really can't come back. Why wouldn't this team move heaven and earth to keep – make no mistakes about this, Larry. With all due respect to Debo, Brandon Ayuk is this team's best wide receiver. And I don't think it's by a little, it's by a lot, because availability is the best ability, especially on this 49ers roster. Well, you know, they were in the bidding for Odell Beckham. And I was asking the question earlier today, if Odell Beckham was going to be added, whose spot would he take? And I, my first thought was Brandon Ayuk. And I know that there's a lot of trade interest in Ayuk because Ayuk, if he were in this year's draft, Damon, would be the number one wide receiver. So, um, you know, any his contract is not, you know, DeAndre Hopkins is out there available Wait a for minute, teams. Though. Why wouldn't the Why wouldn't the Forty ers want the guy who would be the number one wide receiver in this draft? Well, it's not. It's about, he's already on their team. I know, but it's all about prioritizing with the with the uh, cap, you know. And it's like, how many guys can you have? You can't have all of them. Um, maybe they've done preliminary breakdown on what it's going to cost. Um, but I think if you really dig deeper, I think the interest is not from them to other teams. It's from other teams to them. And I think they will get a really good offer. Damon, I would not be surprised if somebody on draft day offered the 49ers a late first round draft choice for Brandon Ayuk, because he's, he's better than the late first round wide receivers, but it doesn't mean they're going to move them. It just means that teams are going to call, but the interest in Odell Beckham makes me think that maybe Juwan Jennings is either um, on his way out, or this could be the final year. They've been doing that now, a lot, you know, one year in advance of a player 
it's big contract payment. They're they're trading for guys or drafting guys to replace them. And I think Jawan Jennings, if you said who's the most like Odell Beckham right now, it's Jawan Jennings. So uh, this might be the final year of Jennings, um, or there's a potential you could see Ayuk d- dealt on draft day. But I still think if Ayuk's going to get dealt, Damon, it's going to have to be a high price because the Niners really do like him. And they may even agree with you, Damon, that he might be the best wide receiver they have long-term when you factor in body type, potential longevity, you know, Debo runs through any player that runs through and not around, usually their career is short-lived. So we'll see, you know, they love Debo and they, and they think he's a tone setter and a guy who like gets them ready to play. But Ayuk is the guy that I think if you ask most people, probably will, will, will age better. He's their best pass catcher. Full stop. He's better than Kittle. He's better than anyone else they got. You want to talk about maybe Christian McCaffrey has joined the chat? That would be it. I I really think that this team needs Ayuk. He's finally figured out what Kyle Shanahan wants from him. He has mastered that seven yards and under route running that this offense demands. And again, I I would rather have Ayuk at a price that meant you cut somewhere else than start brand new because Kyle Shanahan is just brutal on rookie receivers. You might not even hit the field, much less be part of the game plan. If you're a rookie receiver under Kyle Shanahan, I I, I don't want to hear another word about Brandon Ayuk getting traded. If you are going to trade him, I'm talking I want three picks. I would want multiple picks. A, a first, a third, a first, a fifth, a first, a fourth, and a second in the following year. I mean, you would have to make me the, all right, can't really say no to that offer for me to even be interested in it. Like, And it would be so stupid to come off a player who's finally officially getting it. He's finally officially getting it. By the way, speaking of officially getting it, Larry, the IT department is weighing in. There you go. Camera looks great. Jillian is uh, giving you uh, a full blessing. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, now we'll see how long it goes because it is filming me in 4K, which I was told is uh, probably a little too too sharp. That it too spicy. Need, it doesn't need to be that sharp. So it's been dri- driving the battery life. There's lots of technical issues behind the scenes, but I'm glad that it looks good. In the I mean, I can count your eyelashes. I really can. That's how crystal clear it's all coming in. This like. is not a face that needs to be in 4K. All right. <laughs> um, I think I think, you know. Uh, maybe dialing it down. I mean, in fact, if I could throw a curtain in front, I might actually do better. Uh, so, but anyway, yeah, yeah no, I, I, I do think there's a chance that Ayuk gets moved. I don't think it will be the Niners shopping him. I think it'll be somebody wowing them. I don't anticipate it happening, but I think they might be open to it because of the cap ramifications, because of how much cheaper rookies are. But you're right, Damon. I mean, their hit factor or their hit ratio, I should say, in the draft with receivers over the last you know 20 years, really since Jerry Rice, is crap. It's awful. They they're like hitting like 064 as an organization drafting wide receivers. There's like you know 20 names of busts uh, since Rice. So. Don't look the gift horse in the mouth. Ayuk is a tremendous young receiver. He as he is he as productive as he probably could have been. No, but he's in an offense that's got all kinds of weapons, and that has to be accounted for. It's there- it's a lot of weapons. It's been rampant quarterback change. He also had to battle his way out of Shanahan's doghouse and how he got in there. It's really you know yeah, no one really hard. quite understands it. I know another player that you've been talking about is Javon Kinlaw and what his future might hold. Look, I, I, I don't think it really matters. I mean, if he if they can keep him on the team, he's a big body, but is he a truly effective player? The answer to that question is no. Again, 
ability versus availability. I, I, I just don't see Javon Kinlaw being that much of a difference maker. So whether he's kept around or not, it's like, it's sure. You know, if they can keep Javon Kinlaw, sure. I don't think you're going to get much for him. I don't think you're there. There are going to be teams coming after him in any way, shape or form. So that to me is a, uh, if it's a sayonara situation, it's it's I'd say goodbye to Kinlaw 30 times before I said goodbye to Brandon Ayuk. Yeah, I mean, it's not going to be an either or situation. I just think that that one is more like, OK, they interviewed Keandre Coburn and they took him to dinner. He's the Texas defensive lineman. He's six one. He's three hundred and thirty four pounds. If you look Where'd at they the go depth, to dinner, Larry, what would they have? Do you know? They went to Ruth Chris Steakhouse and they told Coburn he could have anything. No, uh, that was me that went to Ruth Chris, Ruth Chris Steakhouse. Uh, no, but I, I don't know where they went, but that was the report. And Justin Mello, I think, of the Draft Network had that. And that's kind of a unique thing. You're not taking guys to dinner unless you really have interest. But the interesting part is not they took him to dinner. It's what he is as a player. He's he's DJ Jones, Damon. He's 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 a short-arm, 320-pound guy, but had great pass rush this year. And he's probably going to be available in the mid-rounds. Um, and they have a bunch of mid-round picks. So it, it is kind of interesting, but it's interesting from the standpoint, look at their D-line. They already at defensive tackle go Hargrave and Armstead as your ones, and then you've got Javon Kinlaw, you got Kevin Givens, you got Kalia Davis, who they really like, you got T.Y. McGill. So, I mean, you're already six deep at the interior spots, and they love their depth, but uh, it, it does make you wonder if they're looking at Coburn, you might see Kinlaw moved on because I, I think Kinlaw's the kind of personality where if he's like a starter or a regular rotation guy, I think he, you know, he's, he's feeling good. Um, but I, if you're going to, you know, in, in a deep rotation where he barely plays, it might be better for him to be elsewhere. And I don't know if they agree with me. We'll see. Maybe they d- disagree. There's no real advantage in dealing him cap wise or cutting him. Um, but so they may, that's the incentive to keep him. But when you're looking at Coburn and you're already six deep, um, that tells me, and Coburn is exactly what Kinlaw does. He's a two gapper, no pass rush, but tremendous against the run. In theory, Kinlaw sucked. I mean, struggled against the run, let's say against uh, Philly. Um, but yeah, I, I, to me, that's the indication that maybe they'd entertain deals for Kinlaw. I don't think they're going to get much, but if they could get anything in the fifth or sixth round, I think they'd probably do it. If you followed Larry Kruger in here tonight for the home and home, thank you very much. Damon Bruce with you. Damon Bruce Plus, please click and subscribe. Larry's got a vast audience. I think they're starting to figure out that I'm here now, too. Hopefully you'd be a part of this and Larry's channel, and that way you'll never miss anything we do. It's a night on my channel, a night on his, back and forth. That's why they call it, we call it, uh, the home and home. Before we move into the quarterback room, I got just one more question since we were talking about wide receivers and Odell Beckham and what, $15 million up front is what the Ravens put on the table for him? It seems funny that they would have done that before they have solved what is a significant quarterback issue now, basically, in Baltimore. It's surprising to me that Odell Beckham Jr. would attach himself to a team with such a question mark in Baltimore, unless there's some sort of backdoor negotiation and reassurance that it's going to get done. Beyond what team in the NFL, Larry, offered him $14 million, $13 million. Well, it exactly. It seems like the Ravens just outbid themselves for a player who, just based on time away from the game and the aging process and the way injuries mount up, he is not a fourth of the player that he used to be, much less half the player he used to be. 
the Ravens do not make good decisions at wide receiver right now. Now, Eric DaCosta has been a really good G- young GM. He took over for Ozzie Newsome. He's widely respected around the league as one of the bright young minds. He's probably one of the best handicappers of the draft on an annual basis. But it's not an awesome uh, – maybe he doesn't feel like it's an awesome receiver class. But Odell Beckham got $15 million guaranteed. He got a deal that could take him up to $18 million. I mean, they took Rashad Bateman. He's been up and down. Uh, they, you know, they, they they had Marquise Hollywood Brown, and they dealt him. Um, he wound up playing better in Arizona. So I mean, they just haven't made good decisions at wide receiver, and and uh, you know, Prochet and some of the other guys they've drafted just haven't come to come of age. So I mean, maybe I I think I think everybody around football expects Lamar to be in Baltimore. I think you heard Kyle Shanahan say that. I think you've heard other people reference it, Damon. I don't know how the deal is going to get done. I'm not sure. You know, Lamar's representing himself. He wants guaranteed money. The Ravens have, are kind of letting other teams do their bidding for them, for him. But the, the talk around the sport is that he will be a Raven. Now, it also has been rumored in the last couple of weeks that he's discontented with the way this whole process is, is playing out and may want to go elsewhere. But I don't know if that was ever corroborated or substantiated. So I, I personally think that Lamar's going to be in Baltimore and Odell Beckham's there too. And I just don't get it, Damon, because I saw I saw Odell Beckham's workouts. I saw the video, the most recent video of Odell. <clears throat> he's super huge in the upper body. I mean, he's really, really pumped up with a lot of weight. He didn't have 40 speed to lose. I mean, this guy always had kind of ordinary 40 speed. Now he's old and you know, long in the tooth, a little older. Um, I, I personally would, you know, when I saw the Niners were interested there, I was like, oh dodged a bullet by not getting that guy because he's been hurt a lot. I mean, if you're getting him run at the great, right price, separate. if you're getting him at a right price, sure. But a he's a possession price, receiver, no way. Though. Yeah. He's a possession receiver for $15 million guaranteed? No way. No way. Yeah, it's very, very odd. Uh, to the quarterback room we go, and I know that this is something that you've been talking about for weeks now. Uh, this is this is a, a real topic I think that 49er fans better brace for coming up on draft day, and that is a possible trade for Trey Lance and what he could be worth, what they could actually get. We will, you know, the, the closer we get, the more we'll know about that. But the real catalyst for this to me, isn't their lack of belief in him. It's just that I think that they now think that Sam Darnold can be better. And Sam Darnold is the kind of guy, Larry, why would he sign up to come be this team's camp arm or third stringer? when he is a bona fide NFL quarterback. Now, is he a good NFL quarterback? That's a whole other topic. But is he a bona fide quarterback? He is. There are a lot of teams that would stabilize with him in the room sitting at the two spot on the depth chart, and a few teams would probably be better overnight if he were in a better situation as QB1. I don't think he's showing up in San Francisco to be a camp arm. I'm wondering... If John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan don't have a little bit of a don't worry about the depth chart, we're going to make room for you, Sam Darnold. I wonder if there isn't a backdoor agreement. Well, I mean, they had to negotiate something with him to get him to come here. They It was a very incentive laden deal. So obviously you can't in, you can't negotiate incentives with an agent without explaining your methodology. So I think Sam Darnold is probably very, very uniquely uh, um, positioned there to kind of a pretty good handle on 
what their plan is, but they all teams don't always share with the players either. And sometimes they keep it real simple. Like, Hey, do you want to come here? Do you want to compete? Do you want to be here? So on and so forth. And then the money's right, but you're still going to be somewhat forthright with the agent in an incentive laden deal about what your plans are. Otherwise he has no idea if there's reachable incentives or not. Right. I mean, so that's just his logic. I, I it's interesting, Damon. I mean, it wasn't just that they signed him on the first day of free agency, but that they had all these, these, you know, this, this whole thing negotiated out as far as what he's going to get paid uh, per game and so on and so forth with these um, incentives. Um, so obviously, you know, there were two sides that wanted each other, you know, did Darnold reach out to them first? Did they reach out to Darnold first? You know, the one thing I think is proven here, or one thing I think is clear here is that, you know, it's not just like, oh, they're asking him to be a third string quarterback. I mean, he just played in a six game stretch with Carolina, the best starting quarterback he uh, he'd ever played really in the NFL. That's the best six game stretch of his career. So on the heels of that, at the first day of free agency, before anybody with all kinds of opportunities still out there, he's sprinting to the Niners to be the third string guy behind Trey and Brock. People didn't see that for what it was. It, you know, I think Darnold, and then you heard Shanahan, Damon, describe his skill set as good as it as there is. Sam Darnold, in, you know, Kyle Shanahan said that, that Sam Darnold has a skill set that's as good as, as there is. I mean, that is incredibly high compliment for a player who has not had a lot of success in the NFL. So then he said he's loved him as a prospect and he loved the way he throws. When was the last time you heard him say he loves the way Trey Lance does anything? No, so I haven't heard me, him say I, the, I, la- the last time I heard him say anything about love of a quarterback, it was about three games into Brock Purdy. <laughs> yeah. You know, so I mean, I just, seriously. And it was a little bit of the lead up to Brock Purdy where he came out pretty early in training camp and said, look, for the last pick in the draft for Mr. Irrelevant, I am as interested in this kid as I've been interested in young quarterback prospects in a long time. So I do think that as much as Kyle likes to play close to the vest, he does tip his hands when it comes to QB interest. And I think that he's very interested in Brock, obviously, who is now the starting quarterback of the 49ers until further notice. And I think Sam Darnold will be QB too, and I wouldn't be surprised to see Trey Lance traded at some point and that's just the way it goes by the way we have luke saying damon and kruger on the plus during a giants game that's not bad look and wilmer flores just put two cheeks into one it is uh four to one dodgers bottom of the fourth inning in san francisco somebody says could you guys please this is from kid trickster could you please talk giants no, not yet, because what we have is, <laughs> no. uh, yeah. well, we have a team trailing the Dodgers, and we have ourselves a little something called the NBA playoffs that are starting just up the highway at Golden One Center. Draymond asked for it. Draymond wanted it. Draymond got it. And think about it, Larry, a 16-year playoff absence. You play yourself into a three-seed. Man, for a minute there as a Sacramento King, you had to be feeling good about the prospects and what might be out there for you in the postseason, only to find the Warriors end up in the six. Uh, that's just it. Nothing's ever going to be easy, Sacramento. There is no <laughs> doubt about that. Well, you know, I mean, there's lots of different ways to look at this series, but um, I. I think this sets up beautifully for Golden State. I really do. I think Golden State can win this series if they don't win game one or two. Um, I, I think they could go up to Sacramento, get just drilled twice big, and still win the series. And it wouldn't shock me after watching the Warriors this year if that's exactly how it plays out. 
Um, I would love to think Golden State's going to beat them four straight, but it doesn't mean that Sacramento's not going to win two two in a row before they win four straight. You know, this Warrior team is just they're on a totally different level. They, you know, the the defending champs and they're future Hall of Famers. And I'll say Warriors in more. six, Larry. I'll say Warriors in six, but I am. I'm putting this series on more red alert. I mean, you know, in six means you're a game away from looking at a winner go home game. So, you know, obviously I got uh, some respect here for Sacramento and they have an offense that is beyond significant, that bordered on historical NBA significance this year. And if there's one thing the Warriors do horrifically, it's play defense, especially on the road. So, if it is a seven-game series, you got seven, four games up there. That place will be a madhouse. Um, I think the Warriors, if they really want to get out of this opening round, they got to split games one and two. They, they got to have know, Sacramento man. a little I, rattled. I, I hear what you're saying, and I thought that, but you know, I'm thinking about the Warriors, and I'm like, wow, what do they really have? And what they have is they're not going to flinch. They're not going to flinch, but they also doesn't mean they're going to go up you know, that they're going to go. I don't think they could go. I don't think they're going to like, normally I'd say, ah, you lose that first game. You got to get that second game. I think golden state can lose the first two, come back to San Francisco, win game three, win game four, and then go back to Sacramento, win game five, and then come home and win game six and have it be done like that. I really think that, you know, one thing we've seen a lot, Damon, I don't know if, you know, all the years you've been covering the warriors, but I just think that there's been several examples in the playoffs where the series looks one way and then they make an adjustment and an internal adjustment coaching wise to something or some adjustment they make mid series and the series flips and then the momentum goes to them and then it doesn't go back to the to the opposition. So well, you're I'm, right. I'm, I mean, look, you're historically right. But what's that difference going to be? Are you telling me Andre Iguodala walks out of the fog to save this? I don't believe that. I just I don't think that that is going to be a lever available to pull here in the postseason. And even if he does get out there for a full game, it doesn't mean he's going to be able to play again in the series. Like a few trips up and down the floor means Andre needs a month off. And that's the way it's been all damn year. Um, you know, it. I mean, Gary Payton, the, Gary Payton the second and Jonathan Kaminga either show up and both play a little bit like Scottie Pippen, or I think the Warriors are in trouble. Well, I mean, you know, first of all, who wins the battle in the backcourt? De'Aaron Fox and Herder or Clay and Steph? Now, Clay and Steph are, are 35, but, um, you know, I think I would still take my chances with them I would over those guys. And I think that Golden State, one key in this series, I think Golden State's going to make um, De'Aaron Fox play defense and expend some energy on that end of the floor. Uh, I think they're going to play Steph off the ball and make him chase him. And then that will slow him down a little bit on the offensive end. At least I think that's going to be the reasoning and why they do it. Um, and I think so. You so could you see, got Draymond bringing it up and well, he's against the bonus. You've got Draymond who could initiate the offense. You also have guys like DiVincenzo and Poole who you could work in at times. Um, you know, running the offense and playing with Steph. I'm talking about second halves of games, but, you know, the, I think there's lots of different ways they can go. The one reason I really like the Warriors here is because I think I, I looked at Sacramento and the JD had a great point that the only difference between these two teams is that Sacramento went 4 0 against Orlando and Detroit, and the Warriors lost all four of those games. So that's what we're really talking about. Those are talking about teams that have the exact same record. Um, so, Sacramento had enthusiasm this year for the regular season. They played hard. 
and the Warriors just know that it's all about the finals and the playoff run, and they didn't play hard against those lesser teams and didn't take them seriously and lost. So I think that's really – these are very comparable basketball teams. It's not like Sacramento in any way is better. So that's the first thing. The second thing, I think the if you look at the Kings this year, Damon, when Malik Monk goes off, their record is awesome. And this guy's had 45 in a game this year. He had 33 in another game. He's a big-time bench scorer. He's not just like one of these guys goes for 12. Right. This guy could go for 28 or something off the bench. So they He's got like the perf- Jordan Poole, if you will. Yeah, but, he, I mean, he does it a little bit less driving, a little bit more shooting. He's not a great driver, but he's a great shooter. And um, he, and he, maybe he's a better shooter, really. Uh, he's better. And, and he's, just a, he's just a guy that's really, really solid. And when you have – GP two, I think you got the ability to maybe take um, him away. And if you take him away, um, I think Sacramento has no chance. So, I mean, that, I think it really sets up well. I mean, look at the golden state. They're, they're eight and two in the last 10. They went from 14th in the league in defensive efficiency uh, prior to GP two to now they're first in defensive efficiency. So, you know, since his arrival, so, I mean, he's made a profound impact, even though he's kind of a role player type guy. Um, so, I don't know. I Personally, I think Golden State is going to slow down Sacramento. Um, the, the wild card for Sacramento is Keegan Murray. To me, if Keegan Murray just continues to shoot 41% from three, if they can't slow him down, um, that's going to be huge. And the, the wild card for the Warriors is, is obviously Wiggins. Wiggins hasn't played in seven weeks. You know, and how does Kerr deal with that? Does he throw him out there, give him huge minutes? What if he's rusty? Does he go to? Does he give more Wiggins or one of those those minutes to? Here comes Anthony Lamb. I don't want to see. I want. I'd rather see Moses Moody based on what I've saw the other no night. No kidding, man. How, hasn't Moses Moody thrown down a couple games that make you rethink what the whole plan was for him all damn year long? Like, how is this guy stepping on courts, looking like he belongs, yet? You know, wasn't used in seasoning, wasn't used as even a, a human victory cigar in, in wins, wasn't even used in white flag time. There were an awful lot of healthy scratch coach DNPs for a player who looks pretty damn good. I mean, it, he was great it, at Arkansas. My God, I mean, I'm, I'm shocked that they've mishandled him so much this year in his career. I mean, it's one thing when his first year to defer, he's a young guy and he's got a great, I've interviewed him. You've interviewed him. He's, he's got a great personality. Yeah. He's not like a pound, pound his chest kind of a guy. No, he's, he's an old soul. He's like an old, old man. Soul, but also he's like a, he's like a guy that, you know, he defers to his elders because that's the right thing to do. So we did a little bit of that at the beginning, but then it's the NBA. You got to not do that anymore. So he's taken this long to kind of bust out of his shell because of the presence of clay and Steph and some of the, the other players. But guess what? If I was Kerr, I would go up to him and say, Moses, you're going to be part of my second unit. And when you're in there, I want you to be aggressive offensively because they don't have that many guys that could go for like 15 to 20 off the bench. And he's one of them. And it's like to sit there and to keep going to Anthony Lamb, who's so incredibly limited uh, in every phase of the game, because he may be a little bit, you know, more has a little bit more actual uh, court time in his NBA career and may have a little bit more veteran savvy. Who cares? Develop Moses Moody. I think Steve's done kind of I love Steve, but I think Steve's done just a totally mediocre job at developing Moody and Kuminga and obviously Wiseman and um and you know, Patrick, Brian, uh, Patrick Baldwin Jr. could fall into this Baldwin, category as well. Or Baldwin, yeah. 
Um, so I don't know. I mean, I know it's that is a di- it's a difficult thing to try to win games and navigate an NBA season and bring young guys along. But I mean, and I understand that. And in that's I understand the conflict they were in with Wiseman. But, you know, developing your roster's talents, I mean, who's got more upside potential? Anthony Lamb or Moses Moody? It's Moses Moody. Right. And if you think it's Anthony Lamb, we need to have another conversation. You know what I mean? That that's the other one. It's like are, are we misevaluating our players? And and we, it's not even know? about the upside. And that's I think what drives me nuts about this whole thing, Larry, is that I think Moses Moody can give you more tonight on just about any too. night than Anthony Lamb can give you. Much less potential down the road and investment in a player now tonight. to get a better player tomorrow. It's I think longer, he can help you more tonight. Shooter, yeah. Um handle. He's better. Damon Bruce and Larry Kruger here. A little home and home for you on a Monday night. Uh, one more NBA note before we kind of turn our attention elsewhere. If you'd like any more proof that this league walks through an entire regular season, just unbothered by the notion of competition, look at all of these sideline intra-team scuffles we got this weekend when you finally had NBA teams feeling the pressure and elimination and some actual you know, consequences being attached to some NBA results. You saw players melting down on Miami sideline. You saw what Plumlee and Bones Highland get into it for the Clippers. And the most dramatic of them all, of course, was, you know, Rudy Gobert and Kyle Anderson going after each other to the point where Rudy Gobert so represented himself without glory that his own team suspended him in a winner go home game. Well, a win or have to win the next game to go home. But in a one game playoff, essentially, they're suspending a guy they traded four first round picks for because he shoved his teammate. Wasn't good that he shoved his teammate. It's also one of the most candy ass things in the world that Minnesota would suspend this guy for doing that. Uh, If I were Minnesota, I would want a frosty Rudy Gobert out there as long as he would remain frosty against the competition and not only his own team. And then, of course, you had what? Uh, You had had Jaden McDaniels throwing a punch against the wall of a tunnel, fracturing his own hand. Like, if there's something to be said for real leadership is keeping your calm about you while everyone else loses theirs. I mean, we got NBA team shit in the bed all over the place. You know, it's so funny. It's one of the reasons that Steve Kerr is a great coach. And it's one of the reasons that Mike Brown was a great selection by Sacramento. Teams in the NBA grow together or grow apart. And you grow together when you're kind of like mentally enlightened together and you are, you know, um, giving to one another and your families are giving to one another. And the Warriors have created a culture under Kerr where he's like, you know, he was a lifelong bench player. So what does that mean? That means he brings the entire roster one through whatever 15 along. He doesn't just dump guys off and that doesn't grind guys gears or turn them on each other. He, they understand there's competition. It's not like the Warriors don't compete. They compete for roster time and minutes and everything's not hunky dory as we saw with Draymond and Poole. But they also don't fracture 
as the season goes on. He brings the entire team along. What's Mike Brown done in Sacramento? Well, what has Sacramento been known for? They've been known for these like three week implosions in the middle of a season where, you know, everybody hates everybody and the thing blows up. Right. Mike Cousins is angry at two of his teammates and every assembled member of the Sacramento media. Yeah, exactly. And guys are fighting and everything's going wrong. Mike Brown kept that thing together and he just like, you know, stays positive. You know, Mike Brown, Mike Brown's an awesome guy. And he just kept that group together the entire season and pulling the rope in the same direction. You either fracture or you grow together. I mean, it's just like anything else. You spend time with anybody. Um, you're dating, you're dating somebody. It's like you're either after six months, you're like, Hey, this is working out. We get along great. We're hanging out. It's awesome. She loves me. I love her. Uh, we don't grind on each other's gears. We're made for each other. Or you're like, dude, I got to get out of here. You know what I mean? It's like, and that's where we're at. These NBA teams are no different. These, these relationships, you either grow together, you grow apart. And I mean, look at the war. That's the one thing with the warriors is they won't grow apart. We're like the Clippers, you know, the, the Lakers until right. the Westbrook thing, they get these volatile players, Kyrie, it seems grow apart. Well, so. look at it this way. We just went through an awful lot at the beginning of the year with Jordan and Draymond, and they might not ever be best friends again. They might, they, they really weren't best friends. They weren't even good friends. One did not get invited to the other's wedding, apparently. But whatever, they have not grown apart. There's been some sticky, rough moments and growing pains along the way, but they have not grown apart. It has not happened. And that is a testament to the Warriors' overall culture where they can put the team's priorities in front of individual axes to grind. So I'll give them house credit for that. For and sure. who is that? that? That's Myers. That's Kerr, partly Lake up, right? I mean, they've created sure. And culture. I think it might've a little bit of that was also Mike Brown. And we're seeing the fruits of that being planted up in Sacramento because they've stayed, stayed united in an up and down year. Uh, what institutional knowledge, Larry, does Mike Brown have? of the Golden State Warriors that you think he could wield against them in a destructive way. I mean, he who who knows the Warriors defense better than Mike Brown and how it might be deconstructed and taken apart. Um I, I think that that is that's going to be the real difference. Like obviously it, it's it's a players league. It's the ultimate players league the NBA is. But Mike Brown is a good enough coach on his end and has enough institutional knowledge of what the Warriors are good at and what they're weak at, that that to me is just another just scoop of worry to put on that series if you're a Warriors fan. I think it's a great point. I really do. Because, you know, there's the there's the cat and mouse game that goes back and forth on the strategy. And I, we, we already referenced it here. Teams come out. Sometimes Golden State starts fast. Sometimes they don't. When they don't, they usually find a way to adjust, you know, some some strategic adjustment, and then they tend to take these series over. I think Mike Brown, since he knows Kerr and his thinking, might be able to at least understand what is what adjustments are coming as the series progresses. And think? I think, yeah, I think there's a chance. Like, let's say the Kings won a couple games, and we're going into a game three situation. Well. The, the obvious question going into that game three is outside of venue, what's Kerr's adjustment to what happened in the first two losses to the Kings? In that situation, I think Mike Brown might have a leg up in that he understands how Kerr thinks and what kind of how he how he strategizes, how he reacts to certain situations based on coaching with him. And he might be one step or two ahead because he knows how Kerr may may react 
uh, depending on how the first two games go. So if Kevin Sacramento, up, yeah, if Sacramento yeah. gets off to a good start, I think Brown could steal a game somewhere in the middle of the series. Well, you know, and somebody, Kevin, says, uh, remember Brown coaching last year when Kerr had COVID. Uh, again, he Mike Brown knows the Golden State Warriors a lot better than Steve Kerr knows the Sacramento Kings, and that's not due to a lack of preparation or anything. It's just when you are around a team as their coach, you get to know players' strengths and weaknesses. One of the reasons why we believe saw that Warriors team upset Dirk Nowitzki, it's because Don Nelson knew Dirk Nowitzki's one tendency, and the Warriors exploited it all series. Dirk gets the ball, he brings it to his hip. So not only have the big on him, you run a small at him too, you swipe at his hip, and that's, you know, if if Mike Brown just has that one thing, you know, that coaches who coach a player, try to coach players' weaknesses out of them, if he knows, you know, whenever... Whenever Jordan Poole gets the ball over on, you know, that left break mark, he always brings it down to his hip, and that's a good place to just – just stupid little things that fans wouldn't see or really notice, but coaches are paid to notice and see, especially when they're trying to coach a player out of his tendencies. Mike Brown knows every single Golden State Warriors' tendencies, from their best players to their future Hall of Fame players – to the least of their players. You know, he's got working knowledge on Jonathan Kaminga that, you know, unless Kaminga's taken massive steps forward, might still apply. So I think that that is just another reason why, yes, this is the series the Warriors wanted. From an experience versus your lack of playoff experience, it makes sense. From just a a, a, a labeling standpoint, you know, the, the, the Warriors feel bigger and look bigger, even though they don't have the seed that proves that. But this is not going to be easy. I just don't. How about this? You well, say, I'll, I'll they say can this. drop I, those first two games and then no problem. They still got. No, if they drop those first two games, I think they're in a whole lot of oh, fucking trouble. Five, yeah, it's five alarm fire, but yeah. it doesn't mean they ain't going to happen. Uh, I will say this, too. If my brother lives up there. He's a Kings fan and partial season ticket holder. Um, he says the expectations are absolutely that this team makes it to the second round of the playoffs. Now that was before the matchups came out, but the expectation for a good portion of the year is that, Oh yeah, this team's not going to check out in the first round. This team's going to make it to the second round. So I think Sacramento, Congratulations, you got the warriors. <laughs> yeah. So Sacramento's expectations are, are that they're going to win the first round. Now I think that's the, the beginning of this series. I think golden state knows that. And I think Golden State knows the how, you know, I think the Kings could be nervous a little bit at the beginning. Um, I, you know, I could definitely see them destroying Golden State in one of the first two games. That would not surprise me, like winning convincingly. But um, but I kind of think Golden State's going to wind up getting one of those first two. And, you know, and even if they don't, I think they, they could still win the series. But I think Golden State will wind up getting one of the first two. Um, and... I don't see Sacramento winning in Oakland or winning in uh, San Francisco. I should say winning at chase. I don't see it happening because Sacramento, I mean the, you know, the Warriors have been really as bad as they've been on the road. They've been really, really good at home and the home crowd's been great for them. Um, yeah. Their home so, and road splits are, are, are nothing less than at home. They're among the NBA's best and on the road, they're among the NBA's worst and they need to, get a lot better than among the NBA's worst if they're going to do anything in this postseason. I did think, though, Larry, that they it, they did clear the one necessary step 
that I thought was going to be required for any sort of deep postseason run, and that was to avoid the play-in. I'm glad that they avoided the play-in. I think that that is that's a saving grace to any optimism that Warriors fans have about this postseason. They needed to avoid unnecessary minutes. They've avoided unnecessary minutes by avoiding the play-in. Uh, Jay Stamps 101, very good point, where he says, big series for DiVincenzo then. That is Brown's one blind spot. Yeah, it is the player that he'd be least familiar with. Um, so I, I think Dante DiVincenzo is going to play a big role in this postseason. He's, if I can borrow from Jim Harbaugh, he's a trusted agent. Like, he's not a great scorer. He's not necessarily a good playmaker or a great playmaker, but he doesn't step on his own dick. And that makes him incredibly valuable for the Golden State Warriors because they make way too many rookie mistakes for a team that doesn't have a lot of rookies on it. He's a glue player. Yeah. You know, he's a glue yeah. player. And then, and, and Kerr said it like a couple of weeks ago. He's like, Hey, you know, I, I can, I don't even think about Dante in matchups. He can fit in any matchup, you know? Um, and you got to have players like that. And he's one of them. And that's because he rebounds and he defends and he hustles and he makes the right basketball play and he moves the ball around. He's not a ball stopper. Uh, he understands flow. He understands moving off the ball. He's really, really valuable. And there's been many times this year where he's been better in fourth quarters of games than Jordan Poole has. So the nice thing about Dante, I think, is that he's even gotten to a different level playing with GP2. And I'm really eager to see. To me, Damon, if you say why are the Warriors going to win, they're going to win because of their experience, but they're going to win because of their bench. Their bench is better and deeper. And um, and you're going to see it in this series. Kuminga, Poole. Uh, GP2. These guys are terrific bench players. Um, so um, I, I really think the Warriors bench will be the difference. Amar Dip says Mike Brown may have the knowledge, but he doesn't have the players to play that defense. Hey, even if the Warriors say they have those players, we've seen so little actual on-court evidence of them being those players that they're going to have to go out and re-earn that reputation before it's just granted to them in the postseason. Uh, with about 15 minutes left before I got to go upstairs and start tucking some kids in Larry. And yes. I know that you're, you're, you're a hardworking man today. You did a couple videos. I know you, you popped into a local hard to find on a radio dial station this afternoon. <laughs> I, I've been, I've been made aware of. It's all right. I forgive you implicitly. <laughs> I, I still love you. Um, but, uh, look, uh, the San Francisco giants are sitting in a rough position right now through a four one. They're trailing the Dodgers still plenty of ball game left. Um, somebody says there's one thing to talk about when it comes to baseball. It's that, uh, you know, we're, we're about five innings in and, and, and hour and change has gotten us through about five innings of baseball. Uh, as we have come into week two of this season, any different feelings about the pitch clock or anything, Larry, I got to tell you, I didn't think I was going to like it. I do. And I don't have a problem with it speeding these guys up to create a brisker game. And honestly, with the way the Giants forget to hit in some of these games, a brisker baseball game might not be the worst thing ever. Um, I generally like it because I think the audience prefers um, a, 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 a game with a pace. But I think pace is the reason I don't like it completely because I, to me the pace of the game should slow down in the 7th, 8th, and ninth with real pressure. And I think – this pace right now, because it's April, seems okay. But come September, it's going to seem kind of rushed. 
and all that drama that don't you feel up. like we're all going to feel like we're kind of driving at the speed limit by September. It'll be so just this new pace will be so hammered into everyone, every player, every fan that I don't even know if we're going to be noticing it in September, to be honest with you. I just think that it, it, um, it doesn't, you know, savoring the drama that yeah, might I mean, be harder like, to serve. Look, the one thing about October baseball is there's a lot of drama on every pitch. And if every pitch is coming now, coming now, coming now, coming now, I think there's maybe a little less trauma. I just, I like it overall. I just would like to see, um, I'd like to see it relaxed a little bit in, uh, in, you know, in the crucial moments is like October or something. I'd like to see it a little bit relaxed. Um, I don't need, you know, I don't know. I don't know how you could do that, but, or I would, wouldn't mind it seeing it relaxed in the, in the last inning um, just to, just to, you know, just to get a little bit more drama out of it. I mean, make it a little different. I don't know. It just, I like it generally, but um, I also think you're screwing with the pace of a game and that has gone back to 1870 and it feels I, I, really weird in i the, hear you but to me, to me it feels i think weird the players the, were screwing more innings. with the pace of the game than these new rules were i mean you had guys out there with thumbs up their asses walking around the mound i mean the whole you know this goes yeah, back yeah. away but the whole nomar readjusting five times on each wrist and between I mean, it just it got well, it's not even that it was it's 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 uh guy you know guys stepping out of the box uh so on every pitch I mean, right. and, 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 um, yeah, 19 oh, throwovers. To I first. generally, I generally like it. I generally like it. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I like the fact that the games are not endless, but like, like, for example, though, if we were at a game and you told me, Hey, you know, this game ended in two hours and 17 minutes or something like that. And you we were at a game and it went three hours and 17 minutes. I don't know. I, to me, I, I wouldn't necessarily be like, Oh God, that was ridiculous. No, I no. Good, I, there's I, such a good. There's such a thing as a good three-hour game or a bad two-hour game. I would agree with that, but again, they didn't make these rules for me. I'm not the fan that really walked away, so they're not trying to get me back. It's not about me. It's about. It's about an entire generation of 18-year-old kids who just have no interest at all in watching baseball on TV or listening to it, certainly on the radio, or even going to the game in person. And if you don't have an 18-year-old today, that means you don't have a 28-year-old 10 years from now, you don't have a 38-year-old 20 years from now when you're buying tickets. I mean, baseball is the oldest watch sport in all of sports for, for a reason. I mean, it really is. So they needed to do something. If anything, I didn't, I, look, if we were inventing a sport, we would not invent baseball for the modern times. They're trying to take an old-fashioned sport and put it into a more modern setting. I think the game needed it. I think the game needed it a little bit. Let me ask you, because, and, boy, 5-1 wins. The always right. The customer's huh? always right. I mean, the, yeah. the customer's always right. So the customer wants, the you know, is, is young. You want the customer to be younger, and the younger person has less of an attention span. And so speed it up, get it going. Um, By the way, know. oh, I, lo I love a solution. Here you go, Larry. All solved right here. This is uh, uh, DPA. Add five seconds to the clock for the postseason. Or how about this? Add five seconds in one-run games to the pitching clock in the last three innings of one-run games. If you need a little bit more time to let that drama create and have the tension marinate over the stands, there you go. Five more seconds of marinating tension and drama. I'd rather see a pitch and maybe a ball put in play. Like that to me is tension and drama we're looking for that too um no no drama or tension with the oakland days so far they are zero and four away from the coliseum 
They're 2-8 and eight overall. They don't score many runs, and they've got another 100-loss season. It looks like loaded and ready to go. Meanwhile, the Giants, if they're going to do anything, Larry, I think you and I talked about this, you know, they're going to have to have, you know, basically across the board career years out of a lot of guys. And if this starting staff is going to live up to its its billing as maybe a an unappreciated, under the radar, more effective than you think they're going to be starting staff, you know, Logan Webb basically had to be a Cy Young candidate. Logan Webb at this particular time is not a Cy Young candidate. As a matter of fact, six six hits, four runs over six innings. He's got an ERA over 6.3, and he is probably, without a rally tonight, falling to 0-3. I I don't see any winning on the horizon or even a winning record on the Giants' horizon unless Logan Webb steadies this ship. He has to be an ace and he might be overcast as an ace. Yeah, I mean, he's a solid major league righty, you know? Yeah, I mean, he's really good. He's, 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 he's well above average major league righty. That's it. I mean, he's not, he's, he's not, you know, we're not talking about Kurt Schilling. We're not talking about Randy Johnson. <laughs> we're not talking. We're not talking like, about Carlos Rodon when he's, he, when he's, when he's on. Yeah. I mean, well, that was the other thing. I mean, they had Rodon and he was nice. He, you know, Webb was slotted nicely behind Rodon. That's where he fits. He fits as a solid number two. If he's your ace, your, your rotation is not nearly good enough. I mean, that's my opinion, but that, yeah, I mean, I, I like the giants rotation depth. Um, just watching Kansas City this weekend, though, I'm sitting there going, "What the heck? Why did the Giants not go after a Roldis Chapman?" I was saying that the entire offseason, go get a big time lefty reliever instead. Why did Ross Stripling appear out of the bullpen? Well, because they're trying to do a piggyback thing, but he hasn't been playing well and he hasn't been pitching well. And when he was starting to give it up, it's like you don't get him out of there. I mean, so that was bad. And then also, where this is the other thing that I think the Giants—they're so busy bodied with all their we're gaining all this knowledge and all these incremental improvements that they're not noticing obvious stuff. It was obvious when the giants played the Royals in the world series a couple of years ago that they spent a lot of time scouting how to pitch the Royal hitters. And they had a lot of these guys down. Why do the giant, did none of the scouting reports make it from the Sabian regime to the, to the Zaidi regime. They went down they went down in the zone to a guy who's like one of the great golfers in the entire game when Buster almost was standing up against against uh, Sally Perez, like demanding that they pitch up in on the hands. That's how you pitch Sally Perez. Instead, they, it's like they didn't even know it. And you're talking about you got this guy out for an entire series in October your organization and you don't have the game plan. It's like in the midst of all this analytics, you couldn't watch how you, how you, how Buster Posey and the giant pitchers in 2014 went at the Royal hitters in the world series. I mean, it's just ridiculous. It was, it was the giants won that world series. They obviously pitched a lot of those guys really, really well. And 2014 is a long time ago though. I mean, how, how, what, I mean, what, this what's is the carry over that roster, this, but this, like I'm, I'm saying this guy, you should have a game plan. And instead, it's like you you know, instead of pitching him up, you're you're going down. Um, and you know he, you heard Stripling say, well, it was because it was too hard. If I threw that, you know, that pitch was 88. If it should have been 84, whatever. 
But I mean, the other thing is, why is Kapler going to Stripling and staying with him in the eighth inning for this, you know, eight days into the year when yeah, your when your bullpen's fresh? You don't. You're telling me that routine. raw, your I mean, raw Stripling righty, um, your seventh best starter is is a better option to pitch in the eighth inning when your when your pen is fully rested. I thought that was. He's falling in love too much with the piggyback thing. We'll go two starters, and we won't even act, we'll act like the eighth and ninth inning or the fourth and the fifth inning. You know, it's like no, it's no, the eighth and the ninth. No, that's that's again. The, the Giants did a little bit too much thinking to put Ross Stripling in a situation. Don't take a guy out of his routine. Don't take it if the guy is used to warming up at forty five minutes before the game and then going back and having a Snickers bar and whatever you know, like just let him do what he needs to do to get ready to start baseball games. Don't go throwing him into uncomfortable situations. And again, this is the lack of human touch that all of the Giants analytics continually spit out. They don't look at players as people with routines. They look at them as replaceable, interchangeable assets and parts. And that is the wrong way to go about managing a, a team just through the premise of math. Come says, now I'm starting to wonder. What was the best record to actually start a major league season? Two teams, the 87 Brewers and the 82 Braves, both started 13 and 0. I be, did is Tampa now 9 and 0, 10 and 0? What Let's is Tampa? Tampa? Tampa won again is... today. They're 9 and 0, I think. Yeah, no, 10 and 0. 10, 10 and 0. So, three more games away from tying the major league record to start a season. It's amazing. It's only like, 13 is the record. Yeah, consecutive wins. Wow. Yeah. I would have thought it would be more like 18 or 19. Dude, 13, thir a 13 game major league winning streak at any point in time in the year is usually it's, like the longest streak of the entire year. I mean, that is a, it is hard to win. The game's old. I mean, five I just figured major league games in a row, much less 13. They've been playing this thing for, you know, since 1900 or whatever in the modern era. I mean, that's, I, I would have thought somebody got off to an incredible start some year. But maybe not thirteen. Who was it? Braves. Braves. It. Uh, what is 82 it? Eighty-two uh, Braves. Uh, Eighty-seven Brewers and the eighty-two Braves share the 82 major Braves. league record. Major league record for the best start of a season at thirteen and zero. So there you 82 go. Eighty-two Braves. Uh, Giants. You know, helped the eighty-two Braves clinch the division. That team was managed by Joe Torre by beating the Dodgers on the last day of the season. Nice Terry call on Forster. Joe Torre, by the way. Terry Forster was the re reliever. And um, he gave up a bomb to Joe Mar Joe Morgan wearing a Giants uniform. It went off the football, ricocheted off the football bleachers, and the Giants pulled the upset of the Dodgers in game 162, sending the 82 Braves to the playoffs against the 82 Cardinals, who would beat them and then go on to beat Harvey's wall bangers, Harvey Keene. That's right. That's right. And the, the, Gorman Thomas, Sixto Lascano, Ben Ogilvie, Paul Molitor, Robin Yount. Robin Yao, fingers. Man. Robin Yao, one of the most underappreciated, unreferenced great baseball players of all time. They had right. Molitor and Yount. How about that? And then one infield. Was Pat Listash <laughs> on that team? No, that he. That's a few years later. Yeah, he okay. was on the Brewers, but it was a few right. years later. Pencil pass, Pat Listash, baby. <laughs> uh, anyways, uh, Larry, we, uh, we we just burnt through an hour. That was an hour. Easy as pie. We got 99 people still in the room. 
I've always said the first rule of show business is leave them wanting more, so hopefully people want even more. I'm going to be back on the air live at 11 a.m. tomorrow, setting up the NBA playoffs and looking at the first round of play-in games. We'll be reacting to whatever the final is at 24 Willie Mays Plaza tonight, and I'll have all of that for you at 11 o'clock and sometime tomorrow night, Larry. You pick the time, and I'll join you in your home. We'll come over on the Krug channel, and uh, that's how the home and home goes. We do a nice. game here. We do a game there. And we'll uh, – here, you know what? I tell you what, Ma, Jillian even asked uh, if we could hash out some home and home times the rest of the week because she's got a little uh, – she's been working really hard. She's got some some girl, uh, girl power night drinking coming up. So we have to work <laughs> around my wife's drinking schedule to uh, get the home and homes up, so we'll we'll on uh, your we'll, end or my end or both. On, yeah, how about look at it this way? Maybe our wives are going out to drink together, and they'll just leave <laughs> us doing this. Yeah, there you go. Uh, always good to talk to you, my friend. Great Absolutely. to have you on again. Any single one of Larry's uh, subscribers who's not subscribing over here to Damon Bruce Plus, do that so you never miss an episode of Home and Home. Larry, thank you as always. You're fantastic. And uh, we'll do this again sometime soon. And you, by the way, and you just look. Oh, it's Chris. You're an 8K. I feel like oh, I, I, oh, I, I mean, feel like look I'm at the shine. I mean, watching Avatar. I mean, oh, you're just. It's an amazing see, thing. I'm a shiny guy, too. I do. I get the shine. I got oily skin, it turns out. I got, oil, I got an oily T zone. <laughs> good backdrop, X. though. You got the good backdrop. Good backdrop. Yeah. You got a great camera. I got a good backdrop. Let's get together and make Let's, some money. Yeah, we'll make it. We'll make it happen. <laughs> All right, buddy. Great to see you. There he is, ladies and gentlemen, Larry Kruger. If you're following me and not him, you've done screwed up. Make sure you're following the Krug Show on YouTube Live. If you are following uh, only Larry and not me, you done screwed that up, too. We'd love a follow from you here over on Damon Bruce Plus. Subscribe. As always, I'm proud to let you know that every single thing we do, I think including the very... Home and Home that you just hear is going to be available to you almost instantly over on podcasts. Anywhere you get your podcasts, you now get Damon Bruce shows, including whenever I host the Home and Home with Larry Kruger. So that's what we got going for you. Have yourself a wonderful night. I'll talk to you at 11 o'clock tomorrow morning, uh, Pacific time, 2 Eastern, if you're rolling over in that time zone. By the way, we'll go after or go over where the international listeners are listening from. We're global all of a sudden here over on YouTube. So thank you very much for tuning in. Thanks to Larry. Thanks to all of you. Have a great night. And please remember that sports don't build character. They reveal it. That is